Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Getting ready for that 2021. Let's go. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for joining us online. You know, this is that time of year when you kind of evaluate last year and you set some goals for next year because we're all overachievers in here, right? Um, we think about what's going to happen new in 2021. What do we want to see happen? And, you know, for me, a lot of times I kind of view character goals more than probably any other type of uh, other goal. Just like, how's God want to change me? What are some things that, you know, my character needs to be refined, sanded down, kind of uh, massaged a little bit. And so that's what I've been doing over the last few weeks. And it brought me to this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter three that I think perfectly sums up um, where we stand and where we're living in today. And in Ecclesiastes chapter three, it says this, it says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And you may have heard this before, there's a time for everything. But then he goes on to list them. And they're so appropriate. He says this, there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what's planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. Did you know social distancing was in the Bible? Uh, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace, a time to vote, and a time to get a stimulus check. Uh, that's not really in there, but that's kind of funny, isn't it? It's kind of in there. Um, and I think as we think about all the different times, all the different ways to see life, I mean, it describes a lot of kind of what we've experienced in 2020, but also the new that we want to experience in 2021. It, it kind of defines and describes where we are now, but also where we want to go. And so as we just kind of came together to start the new year, we wanted to use today as a launching pad, not just into 2021, but also into the rest of our lives. And probably the best way to do that is to look back at 2020 because it's been such an epic year. It's been such a different kind of year. It's been so life-changing for everybody, right? We've all experienced some turmoil. We've all experienced some things um, that have made this different. And we don't wanna just get past it. We wanna use it and leverage it for our future as a launching pad. And so today we're gonna to approach it a little bit like we're writing a letter to 2020 as if he were a person. Dear 2020, and we got four statements, four, four ideas, four perspectives, four reasons that we need to look at to evaluate 2020, but in, in light of where we're going in 2021. And so Ryan Rohan and I, our Milton Campus pastor, we're gonna tag team this. And the four statements are gonna go like this. Dear 2020, number one, I hate you. I hate you. Right, and is it okay to hate in church? Yes, it is. And we wanna talk about how to do that appropriately so God doesn't strike you with a lightning bolt. Um, but dear 2020, I hate you. Dear 2020, I love you. You know, there were some good things about 2020. Let's not forget that, right? You survived it, maybe number one. But, but 2020, there's some good things about it. Number three, dear 2020, thank you. There are some things we learned. There were some things that 2020 taught us that we should be grateful for. And then finally, dear 2020, we can't lose. We can't lose. Now you'll notice in your chair is a, is a card that has uh, four numbers on it. We want you to take some notes, write some things down based on these four statements um, that we're gonna teach on today. So be sure you do that as we go, but also um, we're gonna give you a little time to kind of write these things down. First thing, 
Dear 2020, I hate you. I hate you. Let's start at the top. Let's take the hard one first. That's why I get to teach that one probably. Um, But in Romans chapter 12, it says this. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Okay, think about this. Rejoice, celebrate, party with those who are partying. Mourn, cry, lament with those who are sad, with those who had difficult circumstances. You know, for some people, 2020 was awesome for you. Not not a big deal. You're an introvert. You got to stay home all the time. You're like celebrating, right? But for other people, people that you know, it wasn't that way. People that you know faced devastation. People that you know faced job loss. People that you know faced hardship. And we need to learn what it means to mourn with those kind of people, to experience and lean into the discomfort of what it means to go through difficult times. You see, this is in the Bible, it's called a lament, a lament. And what a lament does is it expresses, it expresses our discontent with our circumstances, with what's happening to God. It expresses those to God. And we need to, we're not very good at this. We're not very good at lamenting because um, we live in a culture that values winning. We value celebrity. We value being on top. So for instance, this week, notice, you're going to see more people wearing Ohio State garb than ever, Okay. Because they won the other day, right? Um, but we, we value that and we don't really know how to deal with lament. We don't know how to deal with when people are struggling. Just take, think about it this way. I mean, if you've ever known somebody or had a close friend who had someone, a loved one die or have an illness and, and you see them and you don't know what to say and how do I lean in? How do I help? What do I do? We don't know because we're just really uncomfortable with this idea of lament. And, and we need to learn what it means to embrace lament without worshiping it. Okay. Now, now, what does that mean? How do we embrace the sadness, difficulty, the disappointment without worshiping it? Because you know people who worship their difficult times, don't you? You ask them how they're doing and they tell you, right? And you're thinking, I was just being polite. I really didn't want all that. Um, but some people, we need this, this ability to be healthy with the things that have gone uh, south in our lives. You know, in the Bible, we see a lot of the Bible is written as a lamentation of kind of pouring their heart out to God. And here's what a lament will do. Lament will push you into God's power. It will push you into God's power because without God's power in your problem, you're going to be helpless. You see, there is meaning in suffering. And this is what we need to embrace. Listen, there's meaning in suffering. There's a guy named Viktor Frankl who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And, it, and I read it over uh, the month of December. And it, he, Frankl was actually in a concentration camp. And this is a book that you probably should pick up. It's actually free on Audible right now. So you could listen to it at double speed and get through it. But in this book, he points out and he just comes to this conclusion that we're all our, our basic desire at the core of who we are, at the core of humanity, our basic desire is to have meaning. Our basic desire is to do something worthwhile. Now, if you couple that, if that's our basic desire and we know we're going to have suffering in the world, then there must be meaning in our suffering. And God wants to use our suffering to bring meaning. This is what happens. And if we just kind of move past it, like my dad used to say, my dad would always say, hey, suck it up, right? Suck it up. Just grin and bear it. You ever heard that one? And sometimes that's appropriate. I mean, but sometimes you need to really deal with the pain. Otherwise, it will always hold you back. Now, in the, in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 13, just kind of gives a model for that. Psalm chapter 13, I'm just going to give a few um, kind of uh, teaching around this practical application. How do you complain without being disrespectful to God? 
First thing he says is, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? You know, in other words, like, God, where, where are you? He's complaining to God. And so the first thing we have to learn to do is to complain about the pain to God. We need to learn to complain about the pain to God. Listen, listen sometimes we think we can't tell God about pain because it's a reflection on him and he's going to get angry. He, he already knows. God is well acquainted with pain. Just see the crucifixion of his son, Jesus. And God wants us to lean into it so he can heal it. Complain about the pain to God. I mean, the second thing we see is that he asks this. He says, consider and answer me, O God, unless I sleep the sleep of death, unless my enemy says I have won over him. He says, consider and answer me. Now, here's what he's saying. He's not asking for an explanation of his pain. He's asking for an audience with God. Now, many times when we go through difficult times, what we want is an explanation. We want to know why. Why did this happen? Why did you do this? Why did you let this happen? Why is this going on? Why this pain? Why couldn't this be a certain way? And, and when we, we get better than an explanation, we get God. See, our why is answered in the who of Jesus Christ. So ask for an audience with God. And then finally, we see what happens. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see, he's already decided. Even though his circumstances haven't changed yet, he is choosing the goodness of God. We have to pre-decide that we believe that God is good. That's why we just sang about it. We have to remind ourselves that God is good because sometimes it feels like he's not. So we have to realize that our circumstances don't dictate the identity of God. God dictates the identity of God. Hey, what is it? What is that you hate about 2020? Man, what is it you would write down as your complaint to God where you need healing and hope? Man, I hate that people lost their jobs. I hate that people died. I hate that people were wrongfully murdered. I hate that there's such contention in our country when it comes to the election and the political system. I hate that seniors weren't allowed to graduate and experience all the pomp and circumstance of being a senior. I hate that kids had to go to school online. I hate that the doors of churches were shut for a period of time. Man, I hate that. What about you? Hey, let's take 30, 30 seconds just to take your card out and, and, and under number one, just write down, hey, here, here are some things that I hate about 2020 that I need God to heal. Let's take 30 seconds. Dear 2020, I love you. <laughs> those, those three words, those three words have resonated in our hearts and our lives. Some of us have, have yearned to hear those words by a loved one. Some of us all through middle school and high school threw out those three words like they were, they were candy to everyone around us. But, but many times we, we fear these words, I love you, because I love you is commitment. I love you is this emotional attachment to the person or the thing that we're saying I love you to. 
Uh, when Ashley and I first met, we were both coming out of pretty bad relationships prior to each other. And so early on, I kind of made the move, probably not a wise one, but I, we sat down in the early days of dating and I said, hey, Ashley, um, I'm not going to tell you I love you until I, until I know I'm going to marry you. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a tough ask. Hey, I'm not going to tell you I love you until I, until I fully know, because I don't want to just throw those words around like they're, they're meaningless. And, and after 12 months, I'm looking back and I go, no, I love Ashley. I love her. I love that how she's made me a better man. I love that how she's served me. I love how she's had fun and gone on dates with me. I love her. And so at our one-year anniversary, her and her family were going on a vacation. I kind of snuck into their house and into her bedroom. And on the outside of her door, I wrote this huge sign that said, um, happy, uh, happy anniversary, uh, open the envelope below. So she gets up there and she opens the envelope and she opens up the paper and it just simply says, I love you. Now, now pause for a moment, dudes, this, we're just not smart. In her mind, what, where is she going? Ryan's going to propose to me. In my mind, I'm going, I'm just telling you I love you, you know? And so she reads the kind of the note, I love you. And I go, I know you're probably freaking out inside. Are you sure, Ryan? How do you know? Prove it. What's going on? Open the door. And so she opens her door and inside of her bedroom, there's 365 balloons with the reason of why I loved her inside of each balloon. That's wild. I mean, guys, wives, husbands, try to think of 365 reasons you love each other. I love your big toe. <laughs> I, love, I go, wait, where do, you, where, do you, where, do you, where do you go? And so she had a needle and she began to pop all these balloons. And there was one balloon hanging from the fan. And she popped it. It's another reason why I, I loved her. But I love you, Ashley. I knew I, I loved her. It didn't matter about the past circumstances. It didn't matter about the past relationships. I know I needed to tear down those barriers in my life to kind of step out on faith and go, no, I, I love her. I really love her. So many of us, 2020, we've loved it. We, we maybe loved the financial benefits of it. We may have loved how, how, how our, our, our kids came home earlier. We got to spend more time with family. But, but other of us, we know that meant every year's just despair. Every year something bad happens to you or to your family. Or you can go back every year from 20 or 30 years ago to now and go, man, that year was awful. I hated that year. I hated that year. And we so often look past the idea of loving it. Jesus hasn't set you and I up to fail. He's not going to leave us high and dry. And so we have to look through the lens of looking back at 2020 and go, what was there to love about 2020? I think it's interesting if we know kind of the context of the Bible and God's people that so many of us, we, we focus on the, the, the death of Jesus and Jesus, the New Testament, Jesus coming into the world and saving us from sins. But we sometimes neglect the five or 6,000 years prior to Jesus that, that, that God's people were on earth. There was this gap of, of thousands of years of when God created to when Jesus came. And, and could, could you imagine, I don't know if these are thoughts of God or not, but could you imagine the thoughts of God in heaven of going, man, I've created these people to follow me, to love me, to, I, I want to give them the goodness, I, I want to give them the Garden of Eden, I, I want to give them all these good things, and they just keep neglecting me. And that's the story of the Old Testament, right? Like Jesus saving people over and over again, proving to them that, man, I love you, I am for you. And then God's people going, I don't want that. I want to go make this little golden calf, or I want to go build this thing and worship it. And, and God in heaven's going, man, I, 
I hate sin, Proverbs 6 says this, I hate sin, but, but I so desperately love you. And so I'm going to continue on this mission of loving you. So often in our lives, even this past year, we look back at these last 12 months and go, man, I hated it. But God had to look at the past 5,000 years and go, man, why, why are me and my people disconnected? But God never gave up on you. God never gave up on us. And we know the story that Jesus came down to die on the cross for God to prove his love to us. We read it in John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 2020 was rough. 2020 could have been difficult for you. 2020 could have been mixed with death and hardship, but, but we have to know and believe that, that God's in the midst of it. Psalm 23, 6, it says this. David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It says, surely goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. That means 2020 as well. And he says this. He says, goodness shall follow me. Did you catch it? Goodness shall follow me. He didn't say 2020 goodness will be in front of me. He didn't say as I'm walking along, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find some goodness. David in Psalm 23, a chapter and verses you and I maybe have memorized, David says, look behind you. Goodness will follow you. So before we get our head ourselves and, and, and look towards a vaccine and we look towards a freedom and we look towards uh, maybe this, the, the, the political up, upheaval, but before we get ahead of ourselves, we, we, you and I, we have to look behind ourselves and go, where is the goodness of God? Yes, we could hate some things of 2020, but what do we love? So here we go. Dear 2020, I love you. I love that you brought racial injustice to the forefront of our minds again. I love the time we got to spend with family. I love that people started new and better jobs this year. I love that many people got married this year. I love that interest rates on homes saved us money. Amen. I love our church planted a second campus in 2020. I love that we saw dozens of people give their lives to Jesus. I love that I got to start here at Stone Creek on March 16th, 2020. The best church in the world. Y'all aren't excited? This church is awesome. 2020 was great for me. I love 2020 because I get the opportunity to be in this church with, with you guys and be led by a phenomenal man. So take 30 seconds on your paper. Number two, 2020, I love you. What are some things in 2020 that you love? Dear 2020, thank you. As, as I'm trying to raise three small kids, five and under, it's, it's one of those things that you, you try as you're raising your kids. You want them to be thankful for everything. Anytime somebody gives them a gift, I'll tell Riley, now what do you say? Thank you. If Bradley does something, her three-year-old uh, brother, if he does something nice, I, I say, hey, Riley, what do you say? Thank you. 
I think sometimes as parents, you may feel the same way. I feel like I'm raising robots. Because they don't really mean what they say, but they're just saying it because I'm asking them to say it. And maybe it's not that they're the problem. It might be because I'm the problem. I might be the robot. Right, you know the thank you cards. Like, like after you're, you're, you have uh, the, the the wedding reception and you get all your gifts, you're supposed to write out thank you cards. You know, when your grandma, your grandpa, your aunt, your uncle, they, they send you money for Christmas or your birthday, you're supposed to write them a thank you card. But but are you really thankful, or are you just saying it to be thankful? Thankfulness is, is a heart issue. It's not just a response to go thank you. Uh, Ashley and I got the privilege to drive down to South Florida at the end of 2020 to go see my dad, who's 72, he turned 72 in a couple days, and my grandmother, who's 92. And I got to go down there and spend some time with my grandma, and the first night I was there, I kind of sat in there, and she hadn't been out of her house except for doctor's appointments since COVID-19, and I said, hey, hey Mama Lee, um, Ashley and I and the kids, we're going to the beach tomorrow uh, I, I want to rinse you one of those big wheelchair things with the fat tires and take you out on the beach. I, I was really just trying to like, be fu- funny and be a thoughtful grandson. I, I really didn't think she was going to take me up on the offer. I, I left that evening, and in the morning, um, she calls me at 8.30 in the morning. She goes, hey, Ryan, I'm ready. I go, for what? And she's like, my caregiver, she came over. She, you know, we got, got, got a nice little bath, got my clothes on. I'm ready to go. And I'm like, uh-oh. Uh, I was like, we're not going to the beach because of red tide, but we're going to a park. We need to come to the park. And I got to to help lift my my 92-year-old grandmother up into her wheelchair. I got to wheel her out into the car, pick her up into the car. I got to wheel her around the park, and and she got to see my kids play in the park. And as I'm even writing this message, you know, I told her thank you a lot, but I'm like, man, I'm I'm thankful. Like, I'm not just thankful that I got to see my grandmother. I'm thankful that she got to see my kids. I'm thankful that God has given her more time to live. I'm thankful that we had the means to be able to drive down there. I'm thankful that my kids didn't act like a crazy show for the 10 or 12 hours that it took. I'm thankful. I think many of us in our lives, we become robots to thankfulness. And the call of Christianity is way different than being a robot. The call of Christianity asks us and pleads us to be thankful. In Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, it says, For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools, robots. Paul, he's talking to the Christians at Rome and he goes, man, you used to, you used to like love Jesus. You've given your life to him, but now, now you're not thankful and you're, you're a fool. Church, are we fools? <laughs> are you a fool? Like, like when is the last time you actually like sat down and had these heart emotions of thankfulness of what God has done or what people have done in your life? We have to continue to give thanks for all things. I think this is something that we become to expect and we miss it. I expect to have a good dinner tonight. I expect to have clean clothes. I expect to be able to walk in after a day of work and be able to hug my kids and kiss my wife. But the reality is, is I become a robot and I don't really say thank you. Actually, thank you. Thank you for the amazing wife that you are and the mother you are of raising four kids, me being one of them. Like, thank you. Because I, I couldn't do it without her. But honestly, I don't remember the last time I had this conversation with you. 
of this heartfelt emotion of how thankful I am towards you and how thankful I am to God for giving me you. Have you been thankful? David writes in Psalm 30, he says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praises and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I give thanks to you forever. Church, we won't be silent. 2020 with the masks, they may have muffled your voice, but they cannot deem you silent. And the definition in Colossians chapter 2, sorry, in verse 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abound. Abound should exist in large amounts. Not just on stage to my wife, but every day of my life. Thankfulness should abound in us. Even in the midst of chaos and uncertainty and death, let us all be thankful. And we've done this in the midst of chaos before. If you follow Jesus, you know the story of Jesus coming from heaven to earth, living a perfect life, and then climbing up on a cross, and he was brutally murdered. An innocent man. But you and I, every day, we're thankful for the cross. We're thankful for the the murdering of our Savior We're thankful because it gives us a relationship with God, our Father, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of disaster. The call of the Christian, the call of you, the call of me, and the call of the church is to be thankful. So number three, 2020, I am thankful. Thank you for the time that we have. Thank you for FaceTime and Zoom. Thank you for reminding us how short life can be. Thank you for Grubhub and Uber Eats. Thank you for masks. Thank you for Netflix, for all the sports junkies. Thank you for allowing the NBA to finish and college football to begin and Alabama going undefeated. Roll Tide. Thank you for a church family who cares about us. Thank you for teaching us how to pivot. Thank you for testing us to see where our foundation is. Thank you for technology and our online community watching us every week. Mama Lee, my 92-year-old grandma, she watches us every week. Hey, Mama Lee, I'm thankful and I love you. And thank you for giving me a bigger urgency to tell people about Jesus. Thank you. Number three, dear 2020, thank you. What are you thankful for for 2020? Dear 2020, we can't lose. Come on. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. You see, there's, we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. As, as Joey McLaughlin, one of our campus pastors, says this, he says, you know, when our, when our world, when our foundation is stable, our world doesn't have to be. Like no matter what happens around us, we have trust in a God who's been faithful throughout history. Like he's never failed. He's never lost. He always wins, even though sometimes it looks like he may lose. 
And if you look in the story, sometimes it feels like God sets the odds, stacks the odds against him so that he can prove just exactly how great he is. I mean, think about some of the stories in the Bible. You have stories like the story of Moses, who's leading three million complaining Jews out of Egypt. And they get to the Red Sea and they don't know what to do. And then the Egyptian army begins to bear down behind them. And where are they going to go? And God parts the Red Sea. God makes a way when there wasn't a way. Man, there's a story of Joseph. Joseph who believes that this dream he had means he's going to rule over his brothers. And he tells his brothers about it. And they did what brothers do. They sold him into slavery because he was arrogant. And Joseph finds himself in prison only for God to orchestrate his life so that, so that he could actually become the ruler over his family and over the nation. And, and, it's, and Joseph said this, what you intended for evil, God used for good. This is the story of the fact that we, we can't lose. Man, you look at the story of David who kills Goliath with a wrist rocket, even though Goliath was more like a Navy SEAL. You know, you have the story of Paul who finds himself in prison and just says things like, you know what, this is, this is going to be fine. You know, I, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ. You have the disciples who followed Jesus for three years and everybody knew that they were identified with Jesus. And Jesus gets executed. Generally what happens is the followers get executed as well. But they find themselves alone and then all of a sudden empowered by God to go and change the world. And we've been impacted by what God did when the odds were stacked against them. And then you have Jesus himself, right? Sold, into, sold to the court by a friend, betrayed, mocked, beaten, executed, placed in a borrowed tomb only to rise again in victory. Like this is the victory that we get to live in. Listen, God creates meaning through the madness. Don't forget this. God creates meaning through the madness. Like no matter what happens, God's working it out somehow for our good. This is who God is. And this is why we have to hold on to the fact that he is good. I just think about the, the things that happened in 2020. Just how grateful I am for what God did in me and what God did through our church, even in what some would say was a difficult year. God creates meaning through the madness. And guess what? We're more prepared now to handle madness than we were a year ago. We can be grateful for that. We've learned some things. We've experienced some things. We know some things now. And we know how to handle them better. And we know how to navigate change and transition better. Listen, we know better now. God creates meaning through the madness. You know, this is our story. It's not just the story of the Bible. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this. Thanks be to God. There's that thanks again. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, that we have victory because why? Because Jesus is alive. Come on, somebody. We have victory because Jesus is alive. Jesus is still in the tomb. And listen, you may be still figuring that out. You may have started this year. Maybe that's your quest this year. Is this story really true? Is Jesus really alive? Did he do the things he said he was going to do? And we would love to invite you into that journey to find out for yourself. Because obviously I'm going to tell you he did. <laughs> because I know what he did then. And I know what he did in here. I know. And so he is alive. Jesus is alive. He creates meaning through the madness. Man, they, uh, there's a, we, we have to remind ourselves of the end of the story. When you read a book, do you read to the end really quickly? Like when I, when I go to a movie, I ask Debbie one question. Is he going to make me cry? I got to know. Because I want to know how this thing ends. Because if it's going to make me cry, I'm out. O-U-T, out. 
And the end of the story is we win. I just want to read you one passage from the end of the Bible, what's going to look like in history. It says this about Jesus. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither sh there shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Listen, Jesus isn't just alive. How, what does it mean for someone to wipe a tear away? Like, where do they have to be? Can they be across the room from you? No, they got to be close. See, Jesus is alive, but Jesus is also close. Listen, this is how we win. Listen, we can't lose even against death. We can't lose against sickness. We can't lose against bankruptcy. We can't lose against anxiety. We can't lose against closed doors. We can't lose because Jesus is alive and Jesus is close. Dear 2020, I hate you. I love you. Thank you. But guess what? We can't lose. Let's use this as a launching pad for 2021 and for the rest of our lives. Let's pray together. So on your card right now, just last kind of to close out the day, just write that number four. Jesus is alive and Jesus is close. Jesus is alive and Jesus is close. God, we just know that, uh, man, you're a God who's for us and has good things for us. A God who wants to be involved in our lives every single day. That Jesus came and died for us that we could have life just to prove his goodness, to prove his love for us. And we're just grateful for that today, God. I pray that, man, through everything that we've learned and navigated, that we've learned that the most important thing we have is the foundation that you've given us. Is that you came for us because of your great love and have given us the opportunity to know you and to follow you and to be changed for the better. God, I pray over the pain of 2020 for people. And God, I know it's not gonna disappear in a moment, but Lord, that through today, they learn what it means a little bit to just complain about the pain, to understand how you navigate and kind of infiltrate their life in order to bring them healing and hope. God, I pray that we would always remember the good things that we should love. And God, that we would be grateful people that just give us this wholeness to approach life with optimism. But God, that we would always have our eyes firmly planted in eternity that we can't lose because Jesus is alive. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.